on today's show, I am blessed to be joined by the one and only Simon Squibb. Simon is an incredibly successful entrepreneur. He is an investor in over 70 startups. He's got over 1.3 million followers on TikTok, over 15 million likes, 250 million organic views over the last six months, and is most recently the Chief Purpose Officer at the Purposeful Project. I had no choice but to make a business work or I do not eat. Just to start, my mind is blown with that. If you can get out of bed, you can sell. Yeah, I'll go exactly. even more basic. If you can open your phone up, you can sell. Young people feel a bit lost. So anyone listening should look for fear to make them sharper, to push them harder. right? And if you can learn to love fear, you can learn to take risk. Those sorts of businesses are going to do really well in the future. Welcome to another episode of Big Risk Energy. On this podcast, we talk to an amazing range of people. And we talk to these people about risk. Risks they've taken in their lives, risks they've taken in their careers, when they paid off and when they didn't. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's awesome to be here and uh, I love the whole premise of this podcast. Risk is so important and for your listeners, I can tell them right now that uh, risk is more important than hard work. Ooh, okay. That is a very interesting place to start off. Risk is more important than hard work. Okay, talk to me. Well, I uh, personally built 19 companies and through that process, I realized in the early days, the first few companies, I thought the harder I work, the richer I get, the luckier I get. And actually, it leads to burnout. That's the truth. And um, if if working hard um, led to more luck, that's the saying, right? The more harder you work, the luckier you get. Mm -hmm. Then there'd be a lot of nurses in this country that should be millionaires and they probably should be. But it's not true. It turns out after... Uh, all the work I've done, the ones, the companies that have been the most successful are often the ones where I handed over the reins at the right moment to the right person or delegated. In fact, when I got the businesses to a point where I didn't need to go to the office anymore, that's when they were their most efficient and most profitable. Wow. Okay. Just to start, my mind is blown with that because I've been one of the biggest believers in like you know, that growth mindset. Like if you work and you, and you know, you hustle, like you can make things happen. So out of interest, like as an entrepreneur, obviously, and, and we've discussed this before, you said, you know, if you retire and you're playing golf within, you know, two rounds, you're going to be already thinking of something new. So where do you put that energy into when it's like, okay, I'm not going to just work hard for the sake of working hard. Where do you point that energy? I, I think it's stages in life. You have different things you should put that energy into. I mean, when you're a kid, you should put it into having fun. I mean, Practically, you should just be having fun mm. and learning by having fun. I think there comes a stage in life, like my stage, where I have a kid. You know, I have responsibilities. So there's, there's, I'm not traveling around the world anymore as I was. I was at one point living in Hong Kong, living in Thailand, living in Australia, living in America, doing all these things. But now I, I'm based in one place because I've got a kid. And so my energy goes into the one place I live. Um, and it, as it happens, because I still want scale, I put all that energy into social media now. Mm, okay. And on the risk factor... So if you're all in on taking big risks and that's your way of, of moving the needle, how do you manage that you know, mental balance of like, right, I'm all in on big risks. If none of this pays off, I'm, I've, you know, I've got a very, very precarious starting point. How do you manage that? We'll get into it straight away, right? This is a matrix. This is a game. And so anyone that's a gamer out there listening, if you play a game and you don't take a risk in that game, you won't learn how to play that game. You have to go out. Like I play Call of Duty. Mm -hmm. You know, I go out there and I, 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 t I try a gun and it doesn't work for me. I'm not good with that gun. I get a different gun. But I get shot a few times before I realise the gun I had was no good. And, and then I go run around and I realise that that's not a good way to go because people pick me off with snipers. And yeah. you're like, okay, I better do it again. Basically, you have to go out there initially, I think, and take every risk you can to learn. Right. That's why this whole, you know, mantra in startup land, which is it's good to fail, is true. Mm. It, no one wants to fail. I never went out there to fail. But every time I failed, I learned an incredible lesson. Every time I succeeded, I could literally put it down to luck. But the failures were actually more valuable to me than the successes, because every time I failed, I had to analyze what did I do wrong? And as long as I learned the right thing from that failure, I could go again better, stronger, faster. Wow. And I think it's uh, such an important point because the reality of most human beings is you need to actually make the mistake yourself. You know, they say life's too short to make all your own mistakes and you've got to learn from others, but the most effective way of learning is your own thing, especially because there is no blueprint to right or wrong. There's just what worked for that person, what didn't work for that person, and you've got to go through it for yourself, right? Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I, I, I think there's some balance between the two. I, I think that, um, you know, you don't need to drive a car off the end of a cliff to know that you're probably going to die if you sure. do it. You just watch some footage of people that have made that mistake and you know, right, what evil can evil jump over a, a mountain. You probably know what he did wrong and you don't want to go and do the same thing and just mm-hmm. die in the mountains. So I, I think that there's some disclaimer. balance. Good disclaimer. Good disclaimer. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think there's a... I definitely believe that you should take risk. But I think if you can, grab as much knowledge as you can before you take that risk. But don't not take that risk while you wait for the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because you mentioned it and you know I was excited to talk about it, The Matrix. Mm. Now, we just had, actually, just before you on this show, we had Natalie Ojeva, who's incredible. And she grew up in, um, you know, really, really um, bad situation in, in southeast London, got involved with the wrong crowds, you know, nearly kicked out of school at 15. She's now the youngest ever black female MBE. She's the vice president of a global tier one bank. You know, she lost her brother at a young age, you know, literally flipped the script on the matrix. If she'd listened to the rules society had given her about what she should be, about what she's able to achieve, she would have gone one way. But she realized that if you look at the rules of the program rather than the rules of society, you can do anything. And Simon, you are a living example of that. And I think it's so important in the world where many entrepreneurs have the silver spoon. They have everything on the plate. They go to the public school. They get all the the family connections. And people may assume that about you. And they would be totally wrong to do that. So for everyone listening right now, inspire them to show them how anyone can go and achieve that because where you've come from to where you are is is incredible yeah well thank you for saying that um i mean my story has probably been uh, mentioned before so you know I, I was homeless at 15 years old i i fell out with my mother and she kicked me out of home three weeks after my father had died and i suddenly found myself homeless and um instead of having three brothers and a mum and a dad around me and and i was on my own and it was a pretty pretty tough time even talking about it now i still feel the emotion of it and um i think that uh when i when i look back at that time of course you know hearing it, it is an awful experience to to lose your father and to suddenly be on the streets but in a way i actually look at it as i had some luck and it's a really weird almost um some people listening might see it as oh well is he saying he was lucky his father died of course i'm not saying that but i am saying that in pain comes strength and if I hadn't had that experience, I wouldn't have found purpose. I perhaps wouldn't have been pushed to learn skills I, I now love that give me the life I love. I wouldn't be happy today, I don't think, if I hadn't had that horrible experience when I was young. And I know a lot of people that didn't have that horrible experience and they became a lawyer and they're on the treadmill and they don't see their kids. They're working 60 hours a week to keep up with lifestyle inflation and pay for the houses they think are important to them and the cars they think are important to them. They they didn't go to zero and realise actually what makes you happy is what you do every day. And if I hadn't had that experience at 15, I'd probably be a lawyer doing that, you know, on the treadmill, doing what everyone else thinks I should do thing. So in that, that, that pain comes good. And I think that's, that's the, um, we use the word matrix and I, and I worry it's been a bit poisoned, that word mm-hmm. of recent times. I think it's become a bit of a uh, conspiracy theory mm-hmm. word. I don't use it in that context. Mm-hmm. I've been using the matrix since the movie came out as a reference to how the system runs. Exactly. And, and, and I don't think it's about conspiracy theory. I always tell people I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I just follow where the money comes from. So the education system, you know, we've probably spent a whole podcast just talking about that, but the education system has literally been designed to make people conform yes you're not allowed to copy for example which literally is the fundamental building block of the human race (laughs) i saw someone over there making fire so i copied them and now i'm warm you know like do not copy is the biggest joke Mm -hmm. and then sit down and shut up no do not sit down and shut up right if you're listening to this podcast do not sit down and shut up if you've got an opinion then great you're alive that's voice it if you think your opinion can make the world a better place fucking say it you know, and I feel like the system is designed to make people batteries for the system. There is there is no doubt about it. And as you said, it's not a conspiracy theory, right? I'm not sitting here about QAnon saying, you know, JFK was assassinated by the CIA. That's a mm. totally different totally, thing, yeah, that, right? This yeah. is this is us talking about systems of control yep. and what those systems want to happen. Exactly. And I was reading yesterday, um, and this is potentially a bit of a tangent, but I, I, I don't think so. I was reading yesterday about a, a care home failure. 
um, where there had been just years and years of failure in the levels of quality yeah, of another the service. One you're talking about, yeah. yeah, and and you know, owned by a big private equity company mm-hmm. who own multiple of these care homes and 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 you know, uh, homes for uh, vulnerable young people. And well, who are their shareholders? Right. And they're all the ones invested in in keeping these systems the same yep. and just utilizing. And it's mainly vulnerable people mm. who don't know better and who don't know that there are other ways of doing these things who become a battery in that system. And th- yep. there's, there's no doubt about it. So for you, it sounds like you learned that you couldn't follow the narrative set by society out of necessity. Well, interesting. Yeah, I had no choice not yeah. to follow the system. Exactly. So I actually wanted to follow the system at 15 years old. I'm like, right, I'm on the street. I'll get a job. I didn't have a national insurance card, which in England, for any listeners overseas, you cannot get a job without a national insurance card. I didn't have an address, also can't get a job. Mm. So I couldn't get a job. Best thing that ever happened to me, having no choice to do something is sometimes, that's what, again, I bet your listeners right now, people listening, they've got a lot of choices. causes them a lot of pain. Mm. They could do this, they could do that. Too many choices. I had no choice but to make a business work or I do not eat. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, amazing that you know you've come to to that place where you can see it for what it is like that. And now I guess that's part of the passion of educating others, saying, look, you don't need to go through that pain. You don't need to be in that place of having no options other than that. Yep. If you can understand this, and that's obviously a big part of your project is helping people understand that you can make these decisions too. So is that is that where this drive comes from? Yeah, I think my drive today is to make people realise how amazing they are, how much potential they have. Um, Their wings have been clipped by their education system, by parental expectation, by their own limiting belief system. And and a big part of my drive is, you know, I didn't realise what I was capable of doing. And at 15 years old, no one helped me. I was lonely and I didn't think I was capable of anything. And it turns out that we're incredible humans. And I was incredible and I just didn't know it at 15 years old. So it's kind of going back to that 15-year-old me and saying, hey, here's some help. And a part of that is just, the part of my street content is about, like, it's inspiring. You listen to people and you say, do you have a dream? And people have a dream. And sometimes it's not to own their own, you know, digital company or or make millions. It's literally just, I'd love to help people in Mm. this area. Or People have incredible aspirations. And what happens often when I ask people what is their dream, the second sentence out of their mouth is, but I don't have any money to do it. Or it's not possible right now. And when you break it down, it is possible right now. Mm. The system seems to tell you that the first thing you need to do is get a mortgage and buy a house. Because that house is going to make you happy. It fucking won't make you happy. Yeah. Right? Take it from someone that's got a big house. That thing does not make me happy. You can only right? be in one room at a time exactly. anyway, right? And, it, and actually, it just annoys me. Mm. It has to be kept clean. <laughs> Very annoying. And I, and I think that people don't realise that... The system is out there trying to sell you things that ultimately makes them money. If you get a mortgage, the banks make money. This is it. And, if the and bank's if you selling car, you it, there's yeah, only one winner. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, a, you know, some guy sitting there, conspiracy theory. It's just like people are sitting there in businesses saying, how can we make money out of people, right? So the credit rating systems, I, I, I'm shocked how these things manipulate people. I know people living their life to get their credit rating up. Right? These are privately owned companies manipulating us to get a credit card because we're told we need a credit rating. It's all created. We created yeah. our own prison. Yeah. And this isn't, again, about conspiracy theory. It's just understand how everybody is trying to sell you something and how you're being manipulated to do a certain thing that might not necessarily be what you're meant to do. And I'm just really saying to people, look deep inside. What are you meant to do? You yeah. know, whatever it is, gardening, painting, making someone laugh. You know, these are all possible to make a living out of. You've been told that these things are not possible to make a living out of. And you should go work in Sainsbury's stacking yes. shelves because that's the safe bet. It's not the safe bet. Yeah, absolutely. When you look at the amount of redundancies happening right now, it's anything but a safe bet. Exactly. And it's interesting, you know, the whole idea of the, you know, detached house with a picket fence and the 2.3 kids, that was marketing done after World War II to try and reboost economies and get people buying again. But this is literally just a construct being sold to people. And I think because the reality of, and I I do, I have so much, um, you know, faith in, in the youngest generation, but also worry because they are the ones growing up with constant advertising, consumerism, everything going to them nonstop. The default is we assume we need to consume and we assume we need money to be happy. And then some people, if they're lucky, at 15, 18, 25, 30, realize, well, actually, no, I need to look deep inside and understand what my passion is. But a lot of people make it to 65, 70 and only have that that uh, re- relevation, revelation far too late in life. And I guess that's another big part of, of the Purposeful Project, right? Yeah, I think that um, people have the ability to do anything they want. And no one's born anything. 
I think a lot of times people are like, Tiger Woods was born a golfer. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. You know, everybody has help and training and guidance. Nurture has to be there alongside nature. But nature, the human being basic code is is pretty versatile. Mm. So I, you know, I think a lot of people listening will think, oh, I'm not an entrepreneur. You definitely are. Whatever you think you're not one, because maybe you watch Steve Jobs on stage and you think you can't do that. But there's the Wozniak behind that's doing Mm -hmm. the programming. There's the accountant that ran the the finance and the investor that supported Apple to make it happen. There's a place for everybody in that ecosystem. And I think that what I really hate is when people are told that they can't do something. Yeah. And, and, and often, it's what, it, what is the truth, when people come out of school, is they're told that they should get a job because that's the safe bet. And what it really should be is they should have options. They should have the option to start a business of their own if they want or go into a job. And right now, most people come out of school with only one option, and that's to get a job to pay their student loan down or they're labelled and laded with stuff to stop them doing what they could be doing next. And that's frustrating. I find that so frustrating because that was the problem for me. 20 years ago, and it's still the same problem, the same mm. system. Most young people's experience with money, the first experience they ever have with money is debt. Mm. And why is that? Why are we not giving financial literacy courses in school? I actually asked live, the, um, on live TV, the education minister a few m- months back. Yes, why? I remember seeing this. Yeah. And it's crazy to me that his answer is, it can't be taught. It can be taught. It's <laughs> bullshit. And what, what a terrible answer for an education secretary it to give think it, it can't be taught. Be taught. Yeah, do you but know what I mean? It's absolutely <laughs> awful. And the thing is, people believe it. Yeah. This is, that's the scary bit. Yeah. People go, oh, yeah, I'm probably not able to start my own business. Yes, you are. Why are you not? I'm an I'm I'm, I'm average IQ. Mm. 15 years old, no money. No knowledge in business, and I was able to make a company work. If I can do it, I promise you, you can do it. And it's uh, fascinating because we are all entrepreneurs. You know, what is an entrepreneur? It's someone who can sell a vision, someone who can who can make people excited by things. And we sell ourselves visions every mm. single day. The yep. things we tell ourselves, you know, that is the self. The self is things that we believe. Yep. If you believe you can do it and you can have that level of self-belief. There is nothing stopping you at all. But people listening, by the way, uh, I, I when I hear you, um, you you say, oh, it's selling, and anyone can sell. People be listening right now. I know, I know what will be happening. They'll be like, well, I can't sell. Um, I, I don't know how to sell. I'm, not, I, I'm shy. I'm an introvert. Sales is simple. Sales is simple. All sales is is explaining what you believe, mm-hmm. right? You're not, it's not about, oh, do you like to buy this car? It's really yeah. lovely. Uh, it's blue. It goes fast. None of that shit. That's not what sales is. People have misunderstood the word sales. In fact, they think it's a dirty word. It's not. It's a brilliant word. And sales is simply three things. It's basically understanding the person you're selling to mm-hmm. to make sure you're not just talking to someone and not listening to what they need. So, And you make sure you like them. That's the second step. When you sell to someone, they like you, you like them. And the third step is the deal, the actual contractual deal. But often if you get the first two right, which is you like each other and you need each other the first step the deal always happens yeah. and this principle in sales can be taught and you don't need to be a salesperson to yeah. make a relationship with someone do you yeah. you don't need to be a salesperson to understand what their needs are and what you're able to do for them match well exactly if you can get a job you can sell exactly getting a job is selling yourself if you can get out of bed you can sell yeah i exactly. go even more basic if you can open your phone up you can sell yeah. And so um and, 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 and I think that's the thing. I think, you know, I want to give people the power back a bit. You're still gonna have to play within the inside the game because we mm. haven't figured out how to get out of this matrix. So you mm. do have to play within the game, but you can set the game rules. Yeah, I think that for me the only way to, to get out of the matrix is to take control of your own life. Like you can't yep. change the system, mm. but you can change your position in the system and you can also change your interactions with other people in the system as well. Mm. So, I'm quite hopeful there's some system changes coming that uh, will give people the ability to change the system. Okay, such as so decentralization, for okay. example. You know, we, we look at businesses like Google and you know Facebook even and maybe lately with chat GBT and some changes, things are shifting a bit. But like I think that communities owning businesses is the future so something like google if i said to everybody here right let's if there's if there's 20 million people listening i said look 20 million people i'll share the revenue with 20 million people Mm -hmm. instead of six billion going to shareholders i'll give the six billion to us all you have to do is promise me you'll only use my search engine and not google Mm -hmm. right so when you're going to search stop using google use our search engine and i'll share the money with you those sorts of businesses are going to do really well in the future. They're going mm. to top all the big companies. Yeah, and, and when you look at like DAOs, for example, I think they're setting some really interesting technology to facilitate that. Yep. But 
again, you know, in the same way we say, well, who owns the private equity companies? Most of these DAOs, m- most of these things are, again, being funded by the same people. Mm. So there is that issue. Well, of- again, I think that's true, mm. um, but it's a learning to leverage the system. Mm-hmm. So um, you don't have to build a business taking venture funding. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, it's probably not th- advisable that you do if you want to have a peaceful life either. Well, I mean, yeah, there's there's that argument. But there's also I mean, sometimes when I say to people, because I'm an angel investor like you, so I invest in businesses. And sometimes I say to people, when you get an investor, if you're not careful, you get the wrong investor for sure. They end up being your boss. Yeah. So do you want a boss or why not just build the business from revenue or, you know, do it a bit slower? Yes. But then you can control it and you cannot be manipulated by the system. Or accept that the system is going to manipulate you. Just make sure you get in bed with people that are on the same page as you as far as what the manipulation is. Yes. And once you realize the game, you realize that you can play it right. as well. And and that's the thing. Like I've taken venture backing before, but because I know the beast, it's like, well, I know how this works. and I know what the risks are and I know where it might go. But if you go into that game unknowingly, that's when it could really play you. But also you are right. People talk about angel investors. There are devil investors as well. Of course. And if you've ever had to deal with them, you know that, that can be you know far worse than not, than not raising investment at all. Um, yeah, really, really interesting. I want to go back to something we mentioned at the start, which is the idea of, of luck and how people can build luck into their lives, how people have a relationship with it. You mentioned that you know you see now, haven't you, 15 years old, was, was luck in a way. Mm. How, how do you think luck has played a part in your life? Mm. So I have a formula for hacking luck, which took me a decade to figure out. And um, I, I, not enough people talk about luck. I think a lot of the time it's almost like a dirty word. If you're a successful entrepreneur and someone says you were lucky, it's almost an insult, right? Someone says it to me, I say, absolutely, I was. I was. I would not be. I would not have made it if I hadn't had some luck. But it turns out there's a formula to luck. And the, the thing I think that people don't really accept is, so, so the structure of luck is like this. There's, there's three steps to hacking luck. One element of it is first to understand how luck works. Luck isn't just random, right? You, you can do something good and still have bad luck and not work out. So Buddha once said, everybody's going to have 10,000 hours of bad luck and 10,000 hours of good luck, right? My opinion, my update to Buddha's quote, if I may be so bold, (laughs) is to say that actually everybody has 20,000 hours of luck. It's just a question of perspective on that luck, right? So the people I've interviewed in my podcast, I've noticed one kind of common trend is they're quite optimistic. Mm -hmm. People are quite optimistic. COVID came, oh, it was really tough, but we changed our business, now it's doubled. You know, like, I got sick, I realised actually I should have people in to help me, I brought them in, and now I'm better and the business is doing even better than it ever had done before. You know, like, whatever the bad thing that happened to them, they eventually, and it's not always easy at the time, like, at 15 years old, I cried a lot, I wasn't, like, at the time saying, this is great yeah. luck, I'm, I'm so happy to be here on my own in the streets, you know, of course not. But I think over time, every bit of bad luck has some silver lining, I guess is one way people sure. put it, right? But it turns out with luck, this is basically the formula. In your life... of your life is random luck. You cannot influence it. And that's why quotes like the harder you work, the luckier you get really annoy me because people will throw that at me and they'll say preparation meets whatever the other one is, right? And I'll be like, well, okay, where you were born makes a huge difference, Mm -hmm. right? So what did you do in the womb to hustle so fucking hard to get born in England or born in America? What did you do exactly? I was pulling the umbilical cord. Well, that's what I mean, you know, like, what did you actually do to get this incredible piece of luck to be born in a country that gives you an education and all these other things, right? So, you know, people need to drop that a little bit because 2% of your life is up. But now here's the really interesting thing. The 2% luck, if it's bad luck in the 2%, ironically, it can give you good luck later. An example would be like Mike Tyson, born into the, you know, the, the ghetto of America and, you know, growing up fighting and surviving, turns out to be a world champion boxer. You know, ethics aside, world mm-hmm. champion boxer, right? Now, he would not have become that hungry, that good, that disciplined if he'd been born into a middle-class home and gone to a private school. Sure. And a lot of the people he knocked out, that was their background, mm-hmm. right? So, so this tough part of your life, can, if you can get through it, can actually really make you have lots of good luck. Now, the 98% of your life... Three steps to hacking luck. And very simply, very quickly, because it's a very elaborate thing. I, I should think I, write, I should write a book about it. It's so elaborate. But the bottom line is these three steps. Take more risk. Mm-hmm. The more risk you take, the luckier you get. Learn to embrace fear. 
People do not like fear. When they feel fear, they almost nowadays can turn it off. So I remember the first time someone ever said to me, come and speak in front of a thousand people. I was like, oh, I won't sleep tonight if I know I've got to do that. Oh, I'd rather not do it. It's all right. No, thanks. I didn't. I said, yes, I had a bad night's sleep. Mm -hmm. I had butterflies in the stomach the next day. I did it. And at the end of it, I felt euphoria and I conquered something. I'd learned something, right? And I guess that fear is actually designed as a superpower to help us. People have forgotten this. They think it's something they can just turn off and say no to things so they don't feel fear. Mm-hmm. And they should say yes because it originally was a superpower. A lion's coming towards us. We see that lion. We get superpowers. We can run faster. Literally, we can run faster. We think differently. We innovate. We move. That is a power we're given when we feel fear. So anyone listening should look for fear to make them sharper, to push them harder, right? And if you can learn to love fear, you can learn to take risk. You learn to take risk, I guarantee you 10x more luck in life. The other two are more simple. Basically, know your destination. A lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Where you're actually going. Okay, like, El- elaborate on that one. So, you know, the analogy perhaps would be, um, I'm sure you've had it too, you know, a lot of people come to me for investment and I'll say to them, well, what, what, you know, where's the business going? And they'll say, well, um, I'm going to sell it to Uber for a billion pounds i'm like okay that sounds cool you're kind of telling me what i want to hear and but that's not a destination to mm-hmm. me like money is fuel for the car mm-hmm. right where's the car going what's the destination of the car a lot of people have a car and they're going around in circles and that's why they need more funding yeah more fuel you yep. know they they've they, they really got a clear aim like dartboard they're not what's their target and once you know where you're going turns out a lot of people don't need a car they can mm. go on a bike. They could even walk there. And if they're going in the car, who are you bringing with you for to make that journey pleasurable? When you get to the other end, if you packed everything you need, what's the plan? Mm. Right. So my side, the purposeful project, this is the first thing I worked on my destination, which is like a big, hairy, ambitious destination. I want to help 10 million people be financially free and start a business of their own. Yeah. Right. I know where I'm going and I know when I get there. But I bet your listeners right now don't know what their destination. Ask yourself right now if you're listening. Write down your destination or post it under this podcast right now. I think it's one of the most important things that people can do. And it's one of the, again, goes back to fear. It's one of the scariest thing, things that people will ever do because then you're really facing what the voice inside says. Mm. And it can be so difficult when you're six years into a career as a lawyer and you're on that ladder, but you know there's that thing inside you saying, if I really listen to myself right now, I would be so upset because the direction I want to be going in is totally different to the one that my life is pointing in right now. So you're right. If you want to, you know, grasp it and really take the bull by the horns, you've got to do that. It's also manifestation. See, there's an element of like, if you say it, then you'll be looking out for all the things to make that happen. Mm. Whereas if you don't say it, and what a lot of people do, and again, I, you know, I'm, I'm leveraging a friend of mine who's a lawyer. He will, he actually has, he did have when he was younger, a, 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 a destination. And then as he got into his job, he changed his destination from being something quite altruistic and good for society and helping people to like, I want to own a home in New York as well as London. And I, and I would love to own a yacht. And suddenly their aim becomes things that end up owning them. Yeah. Right. So so that's the trap that people fall into. They think their direction is I want to own a home. That is not a purpose. Right. That's a basic human right, by the mm. way. That, that Homelessness has been created by us. In modern society, no 250,000 homeless people. That didn't happen when we were tribal. There was no one in our tribe we'd leave out in the street all night to freeze. Yeah, That's not how it, we created that. So this true. economic structure of like own a home, own a car, blah, blah, blah. You, oh, I've closed my door. I'm all right. My neighbor's electricity's gone off. Not my problem. I'm all right. You know, we've forgotten we're tribal. But that aside, I think the, um, the, the way that I think people, the third step to luck that is really important. So you've got the you know, take risk, lean into fear. You've got the know your destination. And then the final thing is a quite a delicate thing to talk about, but basically persistence. Now, I have closed companies, and you can argue I wasn't persistent because I closed that company, but I knew that my core mission was still persistent, but I was just giving up on the idea that I had. That's quite important. I don't think people should stay at something for the sake of staying at something. But I do think persistence is quite important. And the best way of me explaining persistence is through a sales analogy. So I think it was Harvard did a study on like the top 10% of salespeople in the world. These are the best people. And on average, top 10% would contact someone five times before they give up. So they might send them an email, follow-up email, wait a while, another email, maybe send uh, do a phone call, voice message if they're really proactive, and then maybe send them some material or wait a month and contact them again. And I have been in sales meetings where someone said to me, oh, they don't want our services. And what did they tell you they don't want our services like no no they they just didn't reply (laughs) and like that does not mean they don't want it it turns out the top one percent of the ten percent do something very different turns out i'm also one of these people i didn't know so when i started my agency business fluid i wrote down 
the 50 companies I wanted to work with, right? Part of my destination, these 50 companies. And I then spent nine years contacting those companies every single month somehow, whether it was like, Happy Chinese New Year, which yeah. wasn't necessarily relevant to them. Or it was Merry Christmas, of course. Or it was like Happy Birthday. Or yeah. it was here was a bit of... Whatever thing. you could get. Whatever. Right? Every month I found a reason to say hello. I, you know, I, I remember contacting BMW um, when Tesla was just launching and saying, you know, have you seen what this company's doing? And like, they're going battery tech. And, you know, what are you doing there? And they're like, replying to me like, oh, that's really interesting. Thanks for sending that article to us. I don't know if that ended up BMW creating electric vehicles or whether they would have done it anyway. But the point I'm trying to make here I mean, is... terrifying that, to know BMW didn't have Tesla on the map. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised how many people didn't have Tesla on the map. I, I, but I think the um, the point I'm making is that, you know, I, I persistence. My the final company ticked on that list of 50, nine years, from the time I started contacting them to the time they closed as my client, nine years. And people aren't persistent enough. Mm. They want, they're not willing to do delayed gratification. Yes. It's crucial, right? It's crucial. And I think those are the three elements of ensuring more luck in your life. That's amazing. Thank you so much for that. That's really, really fascinating. And it's that persistence point is great. And I think it's um, something which we suffer with as a species on a day-to-day basis. We're so used to instant gratification, instant dopamine hit. Mm. People biologically are supposed to develop dopamine release over time and earn it through different things. Now we are geared up as a society to get it instantly and people don't want to put in that that graph people don't want to put in that that time and i think there's a way to hack this again you know like i don't think there's anything wrong with wanting a dopamine here i think i'm personally a bit addicted to dopamine and and i and i i embrace it so why don't you learn to leverage it so i for example post on social media every day and so i get my little dopamine but dopamine hit um but i'm leveraging that hit for a bigger purpose yeah I'm leveraging that here. It's not dopamine for dopamine. Yeah, it's like sake. having a coffee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To me, it's like having a coffee. I accept that it's got caffeine in it and I drink it and I enjoy it. I have moderation. That's probably important. But I'm not not having a coffee because I know it's got caffeine in it. I understand it's got caffeine in it. Just don't have a second one because of caffeine making you do it. But do use the system. Why not? Right. I actually think social media for social good, for example, is really powerful. I know good people that aren't on social media because they think it's bad. Yeah. And my point is we need good people in the arena, too. If we yeah. left the Internet to all the bad people, when the original Internet model was out, people, oh, look at all these scammers on here, and all this porn on here and all this. And if we'd left it to those people, all the things the Internet does do for good wouldn't have happened. <laughs> for sure. So we kind of need to not have it shut off. I think good people need to use it as social good. Yes. Yeah, and it's really interesting. And you mentioned it before, ChatGPT, something which I I know that you're passionate about. You speak about it a lot. And totally uh, get the point that if you try and resist it, you'll probably be left behind. Yep. Right? You need to understand how to utilize this. One thing, and this is the other side of the matrix, but I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I really believe we do live in a simulation. Mm. Um, I believe that it's getting harder and harder to deny that just because technological capability is getting there. For example, if we were in a, let's say we're in a metaverse environment, state-of-the-art graphics, let's say a full virtual reality environment where, you know, graphics are are the best they can be and you have a thousand avatars to interact with and some of those are real people and some of those are utilizing conversational AI like a chat GPT. There's no way I can know who's real and who's not. Right. And I think as, as we start to see that more and more... I, I, think, I think you can figure out who's real and who's not even in this matrix that we're in now. I think you can actually see. Yeah. If you, if you think about it, it's the people who are in control. Right? Yes. So, so they're, okay. the people, they're the people playing the game and we're mm. all NPCs, is that right? Yeah, NPCs. non-playable characters. Yeah, 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 yeah so... Yeah. so, um, so no, yeah. see, I, I feel like... I, I know, I feel like I'm not an NPC, but they are out there. No, no, you, you, you probably are. And so am I. But there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, once you accept what you are, you yeah. can play the game as well. Yeah, like, yeah, There's plenty of NPCs that go out there and do crazy shit. Right? Absolutely. I, mean, I think in, in games, if you play, I mean, I play a bit of games myself. From, so, you know, if you play Grand Theft Auto, mm-hmm. yeah, some of those characters does, yeah, do some good. wild stuff, yeah. you know, like, but I think, um, you know, we, I think sometimes with the simulation thing, people lose it a bit because they think it suddenly sounds again like conspiracy theories. And the way um, I actually wrote about this 10 years ago, but before anyone else was talking about it, I, I like to feel I, was, okay. I wrote a blog on LinkedIn about how we're living in the matrix. Okay, and um, and then 
about a year later, Elon Musk started talking about it. And next thing you know, we're all talking about it. But I believe that we all get the, uh, downloaded the same bit of knowledge. Uh, mm -hmm. 100,000 people get the same knowledge at once. So you probably got downloaded this point about the Matrix mm -hmm. same time as I did to see what we would do with it. Mm -hmm. right? But the way that I think the listeners might appreciate it being explained is there's kind of three scenarios that are going to play out in human human race in the next 500 years. Now, let's say, first of all, timeline where we are today is true. Mm -hmm. And we are not in a simulation. Let's just pretend that for a minute. Right. And... If anyone's tried Oculus or any of this technology we presently got, which is virtual reality technology, you can put that Oculus on and I've been on the roller coaster ride and I've fallen over. Mm -hmm. I think it's real, right? Mm -hmm. So in 50 years from ping pong, 50 years, it's not a long time, exactly. to this virtual headset that makes my brain think I'm on a roller coaster ride, that my body reacts and I fall off it, yeah. right? In 50 years. So just imagine where we're going to be in 500 exactly, years. Exactly, exactly. Right? And that's, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, so I think that to, to try to make people relate to what you're saying, because I'm also a believer of what you're talking about, but I think people don't can't comprehend it. But mm. it's like going back to a cowboy 100 years ago and saying, you know what, there's all these Facebook messages flying yeah. around your face right now and <laughs> likes and comments, but you need this special magical little portal called an iPhone. Yeah, they're locking you up. If they, yeah, you they're, gonna, that, they're locking totally you mental. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, but I think the theory is, for those that are listening, 500 years from now, we will definitely have whatever you're looking at, whatever you're listening to this podcast on right now, this will all be a simulation mm -hmm. in 500 years from now. I think that's a reasonable statement. Yeah. How can it not be based, based on where technology is? Exactly. So there's three scenarios for the human race. 500 years from now, we will be able to create the simulation we're in now. Or the human race has been wiped out. Mm -hmm. That's the second version. Or the third version is what you're talking about. It's already 500 years from now. Exactly. And this simulation is that exact thing created 500 years from now. Yeah. And the thing is... You have to believe if the technology allows it to happen, then it's probably happened. Exactly. Right. And we can just see in that in this version of the simulation, we're just discovering this technology. Now, where I think um, the two, your points one and two might contra contravene is I can handle the idea that we're in a simulation. I can handle not being real. It doesn't make a difference to my life, right? I can still do the same things. If anything, it's it helps freeing. You. It helps exactly. You it's a game. Exactly. Yeah. It's liberating because it's like, okay, well, this is a program. This is how the program works. Therefore, I can do whatever the fuck I want within the program. Yeah. However, I don't think most people can hack it. And when I think maybe in five years' time, we get to a stage where people can no longer differentiate between this is real, this isn't real, I think we do risk a crisis of consciousness of people are just losing their shit because they can't handle that fact. I think I, I think people need to start gearing up towards it. And I, I, you know, I'm a total optimist, and that's where my, you know, okayness with with being in a simulation comes from. But I, I think this is going to actually be a, it's strange to say, but a real challenge in society in, in a few years well, time. Well, it's already happening. What you're talking about there. That's why um, you know young people feel a bit lost, and there's because there's the, there's a lack of definition about like what is life about. And I think that that comes from a little bit of questioning of the existing system. So, I mean, I quite like targets. I quite like rules. I, what's my what's my rule within this game? I like rules. So, you know, I can understand how people might feel if there's suddenly no rules. Mm. So I think that's why you need to figure out who you are and what rules will work for you. You need to make your own rules. That's, yes. that's all we're saying, I think, with this simulation concept. It's like not enough. But that comes to education. Yes. And when our existing education system is training people to be, sim you know, basically follow the system, yeah. follow, you know, one size fits all. I think people come out the other end lost even mm. with that system because it doesn't fit. It doesn't work for everybody. Memorization only works for a certain type of intellect. Right. So if the whole school system is geared up around memorization, which mm -hmm. it is, that's why you have so many people disenfranchised and yeah. lost and ending up in jobs they don't hate for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And the irony being, um, you know, memory, the premium on memory every single day gets exactly. less. What premium is there on memory? Yeah. Or being able to recall knowledge Pointless. where I can get it quicker yeah. through technology. Uh, only when someone does a general knowledge quiz do I feel like an <laughs> idiot. Otherwise, I feel I know what I'm talking about, you know, yes. but I don't I don't really want to win general knowledge. Exactly. Quiz. Outside of a pub quiz, like I you're I don't need right. to win a pub yeah. quiz, you know, and I'm, I'm fine that I'm an idiot in those environments. A hundred percent. All right. We could do this for so long, but I've got five questions, not quick fire, that I ask everyone want to ask you single biggest risk you've taken and what happened? So I signed a deal. No, I, I take that back. I did a deal. Uh, no contract. Uh, no terms. No you know, promise either way what we would do for each other in that contract. Uh, and got married. <laughs> nice. Okay. And uh, I committed to one woman. And for 20 years we've been married. And it's not been easy. It's my biggest achievement. And she has literally helped me be a better person 
And I am so, so grateful. It's my biggest risk, though. You know, like, I think it's it's one of those options you close off to yourself, don't mm. you? Like, and, and I'm sure a lot of people listening know what I mean. It's like, okay, one person for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I, I am so glad that I've had this deep, deep relationship with someone. Mm. Again, it's not been easy, and I don't want to pretend that my marriage is perfect. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm really proud of it. It's the biggest risk I think I've taken. It's just being committed to one person and do- totally dedicating myself to that one person. Sounds like a strange thing because in business I've taken loads and loads of risk. I moved to Hong Kong when I was mm-hmm. 22 and just just did it, you know. Like and and I I moved to Thailand, did the same, just did it. And I've taken loads of business risks, but I think this one isn't talked about enough. Yeah, like personal life risk. Yeah, um, in the context, I wouldn't be successful today if I hadn't taken that risk. By oh, the way, I was going to ask because that's one thing which uh, a lot of married people I speak to say without a doubt they would not be where they are today if they didn't have that stuff. 100 i wouldn't be yeah no yeah. no doubt about it yeah. she she helped me in every respect and i think anyone listening the most important deal you'll ever do is who you surround yourself with mm-hmm. the partner that you pick in life doesn't you know married or not will have a huge huge impact on your frame of mind and your life yes my wife basically has always let me do what i want to do she's always let me take risk She's always let me have a crazy destination mm-hmm. and she's always let me be persistent even if it means I'm not meeting her for dinner tonight when she expects me to, right? If anyone breaks those three elements for me, now I know them. Yeah. I didn't know them when I met her, right? And what I realized looking back is thank God that she let me do those three things to take all the risk that mm-hmm. I took to have the life I now have. Yeah. Right? So you've got to make sure that person in your life has your best interests at heart, aligns with your moral code, and then invest in that relationship. Don't be a lazy fucker. Yes. You know, put some time in. Make them happy every day. Yeah. You know, adjust. You do change. Yeah. I've changed. Yeah. You change with each other. And I think it's one of the most difficult things for people like us, or more actually more uh, realistically, the people who decide to partner with us. Right. You know, that it's a difficult thing for them because totally. the the reality of, you know, having the same mindset that we do is it's it's ever evolving mm. right and a big part of being with us is realizing you have to be without us mm. at times mm. and it's difficult and i think it takes so much strength from our partners to be able to to let that mm. person grow yeah. it's a scary thing for a lot of people to give someone who they're so dependent on in many ways totally. independence yeah you know well, if it's, you're not there so at dinner there's yeah. like that's a big problem isn't it yeah. you know so i i have a hack for that by the way i okay. hired, i hired my wife <laughs> And then she gets to work with me and uh, do all the stuff with me. And, I, you know, in the end, she became my boss, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great way of doing it, to be fair. That, that's really good actionable insight as well and actual yeah. advice. Okay, cool. My next one for you is, and maybe you answered it with the last question, so I'll, I'll press you for another, but what are you proudest of? I'm pretty proud of realising how important purpose is and now having a business that's very purposeful. So I really like the selflessness of my present business. And it's the first time I've been selfless. All my businesses in the past are about building up a brand for myself that I can sell and make lots of money. And and that, there's nothing wrong with that. People listening, please do it. But I, I'm really um, proud of the fact that I am now building something that isn't about me. And I'm actually genuinely, even my social media popularity, I'm using to lift other people up. And I, I, I'm very proud of that. I think I'm, I'm pretty excited by it too. And I think it's, again, using social media for social good. I, I really want to pioneer, push that say pioneering I'm yeah. taking it from other people that are pioneering it but but push it so I'm, I'm quite proud of that that narrative on our business yeah it's incredible and i say this genuinely as well simon like there's a lot of people in this space who have great intentions but they're still doing it for that personal gain as you said there's nothing wrong with that but genuinely everything you're doing the personal project i know how much money and time and energy and emotion you've invested into this you're not taking anything out of it you know, this is genuinely a selfless act, as you said, and it's incredible to see. And it's not, again, I don't think people are just coming across your content without knowing, you know, they wouldn't necessarily appreciate that, right? It's not in every bit of content, but I think it's such an important thing to know is like, this is coming from the best place. And I know that you went through a period of getting a lot of hate online and people questioning yeah. intentions, which is so misguided, but, um, you know, you, you've persevered through. That, that's a whole separate thing I think is fascinating. Um, I, 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 it's the first business I've ever built where it is about helping other people. And I found that I got more hate than when I was building a business just to make me rich. 
a really, really strange phenomenon. And yeah. then I've, I've got a friend who um, and, and who's had a similar experience, and he um, he he basically left J.P. Morgan, a multi-million-pound-a-year job, and went and opened up a home, homeless shelter. And he has three kids, so he had to basically earn money. So in, when he structured up this new homeless shelter, he did it through sponsors and partners. Very clever guy. Managed to bring in loads of money. He helps two hundred homeless people a month with his charity, but pays himself a hundred pounds, hundred thousand pounds a year to feed him and his family and, and live, you know, live the way he would like to live he gets so much hate for paying himself a hundred thousand pounds i'd rather have him paid whatever jp morgan was yeah, paying him yeah, yeah. to help society than do what he was doing at jp morgan which you know you could argue was not good for society yeah. whether it was or wasn't but the point is i think that's a fair I, argument i don't i don't understand why people that are you know doing damage to society somehow can you know and i don't want to categorize everybody in this case but bankers that say get paid tens of millions to fuck up the economy destroy yes. everybody's lives and we're like well good for you mate you walked away the big short guy you know walked away with 60 million screwing everybody but he made yeah. 60 million and then when he shows his shit on social media he's getting all these likes and loves and well you're well done mate you're rich that is the wrong narrative in society we should be paying people that do good more mm -hmm. now I deliberately set out the last three years I've helped I've helped thousands of, thousands of people maybe more than thousands, but I say humbly thousands, and I've never charged anybody for help, and I never intend to charge people for help. However, here's a really interesting phenomenon. This just recently happened to me. I'm now making money, right? I'm making money on my social media. Someone paid me £10,000 last week just to have an hour with me. Nice. Right? Now, this is the phenomenon. What did you have to do in that hour? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably have to draw you out a picture for that. But um, mentorship, yeah. uh, for, for the record, in case it goes viral and people <laughs> suggest other stuff. But what I'm trying to get to here is that what I discovered is something really, really important, I think. The narrative in society is give and take. So I'll help you and you help me, right? And people think that's how they get rich. So I'll, I'll scrub your back, you'll scrub mine. Politicians are doing it all the time. Business is doing it all the time. It's accepted narrative. It's the wrong narrative to get truly happy rich and happy happy rich two separate things potentially mm. but and the narrative that i live by now is give without take mm -hmm. right so i was actually helping this person for free on tiktok live i've got the recording helping him for free and he said simon this is so much value and i really love what you're doing i'd like to pay ten thousand pounds right i didn't what I did. actually that's slightly wrong that's slightly wrong he was talking about uh, he was talking about how he charges £2,500 mm -hmm. to help people. Right. And I said, well, I'm helping you for free and all this value. I should probably charge you £10,000. Yeah. And he said, sure, that's fine. <laughs> now, I will give that money out. Mm -hmm. I will end up in the end giving that I money out. I know you out. do, yeah. But what I'm trying to say here, what I think is a really interesting experiment I've been going through is that for three years I've been helping people for free. Now... I could make an infinite amount of money if I really wanted to because I helped people for free for free. Mm. Some people call this karma. That's a simple way of describing it. But people aren't instigating this enough. You shouldn't look to help people have any expectation. Reason number one, you shouldn't do this. If I give you £10 and then you don't pay it back to me, I feel an ants. Mm -hmm. an I'm annoyed. Mm -hmm. It takes up part of my brain. Mm -hmm. If I just give you the £10 and never think about it again, I just helped out someone. I walked by that looked like they were in trouble and just did the nice thing for someone. You'll be so much happier yes. as a person who did that kind thing. Right? Don't look to get something back. Yeah. Don't even have expectations as something Yeah. As a, to get back. And I, 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 just, I just want people to know this because it took me a long time to figure this out. Mm -hmm. I used to always be transactional. And since I've been doing just good things for people, I now can almost like write a blank check about how much money I wanted to earn if I wanted it. You know, and, 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 and I always tell, I got, you know, two million followers on my social media uh, now. I'm like, my dream would be every single one of those people do one kind gesture for someone today without any expectation of anything in return. It doesn't have to be money. You can literally be like going and talking to a homeless person, hearing their story and making sure they're all right. Just listening to them. Problem shared is problem half. Mm. Buying a person behind you looks a bit sad of coffee. Wake them up to like kindness. Yeah. You know, like do nice shit for people. Yeah. Incredible things come back to you in yes. so many levels. And I've discovered this in myself. I could make so much money if I wanted to now because for three years I haven't looked to make money out of people. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, so many amazing things in, in what you've just said, but um, I think one of the most amazing things about the human body is we talk about dopamine. We reward ourselves when we help others. Right. When we help other people, our body gives us dopamine. It's literally natural to help others. And the system does tell you not to do it. And it try yeah. gives you other ways. Well, media we, also freak you out into yeah. thinking if I helped a homeless person and gave them my spare room, yes. I'd get stabbed in the night. Yeah. One time it happened 10 years ago, randomly. You yes, know, like exactly. But so I, uh, we work on Brick Lane and um, the other day I was walking past Pratt and I overheard 
uh, I think I assume was a homeless guy asking people for a hot chocolate and I d- didn't walk past him. He didn't see me, but I overheard it, went into Pret, gave him a hot chocolate and he wasn't expecting it, obviously, because you didn't know that I'd, I'd heard him. And the look on his face when I, when I tapped him on the shoulder and gave it to him, he was in disbelief. Mm. He was in shock. Like he could, he, it was almost like he couldn't understand what was happening. That I gave him something without him asking me trick? directly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what we've got to, isn't it? Now? Exactly. Everything's and, a trick. And, and for me, the look in his eye, it, it broke me because yep. I was like, wow, this guy is, he cannot believe that someone has shown him kindness without him having to follow them into the store and make sure they actually do it when they've said they're going to do it. And it's, that's where we've got to in a society. But I think as well, talk again about the system and why people gave you hate when you were helping people for free and like your friend who went from JP Morgan to the homeless shelter is because the system wants people to laugh at and hate those who goes against it. Mm. You know, they want you to be like, no, 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 this guy can't be doing this for good because that's not what our system wants. It's a really interesting psychology you're getting into now and I have thought about it a lot because I actually don't like being hated. I don't think anyone does, do they? But I, 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 a lot of people say, thick skin, you're on social, it's your problem, you know. I guess that's a narrative for Prince Harry and like, you know, just mm-hmm. you're, you're in the media spotlight, your problem. And I, I think it's, it's, some, it's a really interesting subject and I, and, I, and I analyse it this way. There are people out there that wish they were doing good mm-hmm. and they, they're not they're sitting on a computer trolling, right? They have the ability to do good, but they're almost like envious or they hate you because you're a reflection of what they want to be and they're not doing it. Yeah. I think equally the other side of it is um, there's some instruction, there's some institutional instructions in people's head that they believe to be true. So one of the reasons I get hate is that hot chocolate analogy you just gave. I'd film it, right? And people are like, well, if you're doing a kind gesture, you shouldn't film it, which, you know... On first hearing that narrative, I kind of understand that point. But my point is this. If I didn't film some of the people I'm helping, I wouldn't be helping them as much as I could be. Mm -hmm. In addition, because I've been filming helping people, I've inspired other people to help people. Yesterday, I was coming out of Wembley Stadium. A guy walked past me and went, you're Simon Scribb. I'm like, yeah. He goes, here's some money. Can you give it away to people? I I don't have time. But, you know, I was like, mate, this is amazing. Right. But. I'll give you the money back. You do it, record it, tag me, I'll share it. Yeah. You know, like, you basically create, if I hadn't shared what I was doing, then those people I'm helping would be helped less. Yes. They wouldn't get their brand names famous. They wouldn't have their, their story heard. They wouldn't get a community coming in to help them because mm. the community wouldn't know about it, which is what's happening on my social media. My community's helping these people more than me, right? And and, and I think that the, the, the inspiration of, like, people watching that and saying, oh, I could start my own business too, that, that yeah. alongside the element of, like, Maybe I could help someone today. Yes. I could I could copy what Simon's doing. Like as if I wouldn't be offended. Do it. Yeah. You know, like and I think that people have a narrative which is, you know, in society is like, well, I do things quietly. I, I'm kind and quiet. Then great. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe you, social media wasn't invented when you read the handbook on how to be kind. <laughs> like I always respectfully ask people if it's okay to film them. So for yeah. example, the homeless people I've helped, I always I've helped a lot of people and they've said no, and I haven't shown those videos. Sure. Right. So there's one that's an element. Respect is different. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want to be on camera. That's fine. I'd never show those videos. Yeah. And I'm you know if people ask not to be shown on camera. We block out their picture. We never we never show anyone that doesn't want to be shown. Sure. But I think it's a, a, a colossal mistake for people to think that it's bad to show kindness. And I honestly have another narrative, which is some people that say, I, I'm giving money and I'm doing it quietly and I think that's the right way to do it. I don't think you're doing it. Mm. I, mm. I don't think they're doing it. Yeah. I don't think they're hiding behind this narrative. I, I do it quietly. Are yeah. you? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't, I don't. <laughs> yeah. The people I know that have said that to me, I'm like, I saw you literally like walk past a homeless person over there and like, like sneer at them that you wish they weren't living near your house. I, I know these people. Mm. They're not doing anything. Mm. And so they're hiding behind, I do it quietly behind the scenes. Why? Yeah. Why not encourage other people in your community to do what you're doing? If you've got the means to help people, why don't you do it and then show that you've done it so the other people with means see that they should do it? Well, this is it, right? It becomes bigger than you. And I you know, can only imagine what it means to you when you get these messages from your community of hearing how they've taken the ball. You're giving them yep. a run with it. Yep, exactly. And, and I think back to that school thing, copying. I like, copy me. Oh, I want to get views. Great, if it's part for views, do that. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I want views. Yeah. I do want views because views equals revenue, which allows me to give more money out, right? Views equals more people seeing that give without take is a good idea, not give and take. Yeah, sure, I want views. And and as a human being, people, I don't think there's anything wrong with being selfish. Mm-hmm. I think this is something that society also makes you feel bad about. Like, I, I, I have some selfish motivations. What are they? 
I sold my company. I made a lot of money. I retired. I was bored, mm -hmm. right? I have a lot of knowledge. I want to be useful and I want to be seen, right? So yes, I have a skill set which allows me to do content. So I want to be useful and I want to be seen. That does not make me bad. No. You know, and the fact that I then direct all that energy to doing something on social media that makes me accidentally famous, I'm not doing it to make myself famous. In fact, I find it slightly awkward when people stop me in the street. It is, it is a bit weird. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, but I'll embrace it for the purpose. Yeah, I think it's a, a really, really important message because, you know, it's like, um, as I said just before, we had Natalie uh, on, on the podcast as well. And for her, someone who's been champion of diversity and inclusion, she she's the youngest ever uh, black female to get an MBE. And she was saying how conflicted she was about getting an MBE, obviously with the history of colonialism and all the things that, you know, the monarchy has done. Uh, but for her, she was like, no, I'm going to do that because I want to open those doors. I want people to see it. Mm. And she was willing to go against something which maybe in first glance she was like i don't know it doesn't fit my moral code a hundred percent but because of the impact of that and what it's going to show other people what they can achieve and when it's bigger than you sometimes you're actually going to say well do you know what? i'm going to do it for that yeah. purpose yeah. rather than for what it feels to me in that moment totally i mean i remember when i started filming being kind to people it did initially feel not not me i am english yeah, I mean, there's two things that I, I do that I, I think traditionally I'm English wouldn't do. I, do, I don't talk about how much money I've got, mm -hmm. and now I do, and I and I I find that very weird because it's not English to say I've got money. Yeah, uh, Talia, who works with me, I blame her. She said, "Simon, tell people, you know, tell people your success, you know, like be proud of it." And I was like, "Well, well you know, just, just keep it quiet, really. I don't want to get kidnapped." Yeah, do you know, like, and, and then the other side of it was like, actually, I did help a lot of people and not show it. But I feel like we're not leveraging the tools that are out there to help us. We're not playing the game properly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. My next question for you is, is there anything you would do differently? So I guess in my early business career, I was so desperate to survive and do well that I feel like my moral compass was off. So I had kind of a winner-takes-all mentality in business. My competition was all about destroying them. And, you know, in business, I did a few things in the early years of my career. If I look back, like, I was competing against another gardening company and I've sabotaged their equipment. And, you know, like I did things that I thought were about, like, the narrative that I'm sold, which is about, mm -hmm. it's about winning. Mm -hmm. It's about, like, they try to take you out, you take them out first. And I, it took me a long time because I was so desperate, I think, at 15, and it was all about survival, right? Yeah. I think that narrative went on a bit long, and I and I should have like, readjusted my moral code. But for up until about, um, I think, 22, 23, I was just like, fight, survive. And then I did a few things in business that I wasn't that proud of, and I didn't need to do them. You know, I just fought so hard to be the winner in gardening or to run an accommodation company or whatever mm -hmm. it was. I was like, smash the competition and win. And that wasn't actually me. I think I reprogrammed myself during the survival phase yeah. to like, you know, the narrative in business, right? The whole like, you know, greed is good, whatever. You no, know, maybe I, I was grow, grown up in a slight, an yeah. era where it was like, tread on people to get ahead. That's business. Totally not who I was. And probably if I could, I'd go back to that younger me and kind of say, hey, man, you know, this stuff you're doing here, like to beat this company, that's not right. Wow. Um, and you should, you should not do that. Um, it took me a while to realize it. Um, but yeah it's so interesting it's another thing which people probably don't appreciate about you and I, I've had situations where I've worked with people who were um, you know in a very elite level in the military for example and get institutionalized survival mode you yeah. know ways of thinking you die or I die that yeah. kind of feeling yeah yeah exactly and you know the fact that a lot of people can't come back from it no you know I know people who have done that who just never managed mm. to reintegrate you know, if that's the right word for it, you know, back into uh, a type of thinking which allows you to operate better in, yeah. you know, what's seen as traditional. So that's something which took you quite a long time to, to readjust to. Yeah, I think it's um, it's something that I I don't I don't call it a regret because I think it's a process. We, we develop as humans in a, in, a, in a process format. But I'm glad that I didn't fall into that trap. I know a few people that are still like that today. Mm -hmm. I don't want to categorize bankers this way, but, it's, it's all, it's, it, you know, I know a banker in particular who's like, it's just survive. It's that they want to win at all costs. It doesn't matter about Main Street and millions of people going broke. It doesn't matter. Mm. They they will make a hundred million. Yeah. And I I I'm so glad I woke up from that. But it took me you know seven years to deprogram myself mm -hmm. uh, from that mindset. And um, yeah, again, society almost builds it in as like, well, you know, uh, it's you 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 know, dog eat dog, whatever. You know, there's so many sayings that are around it, right? It's like you know, if you survival of the fittest, and yep. you've got to tread on, tread on people to get ahead. All of that is a lie. 
but I, I, I bought into it for way too long. Uh, yeah. I'm glad I've changed. Okay. Second last question for you. What does it take to be successful? What does it take to be successful? I have thought about this a lot. And I think luck plays a part. But beyond that, it turns out it's basically a framing of mind. So most people want something. And they want it so badly. But they don't need it. And so if you don't need it, turns out you don't do it. So I want to get fit. Do I need to get fit? I could probably get away with it. Right? So what I notice, like people in their 30s and 40s who get really fit, often you ask them, well, why suddenly you got fit? What happened? They had a health scare. So what happens is someone says, if you keep eating like that, you're going to die. And they're like, shit. And they stop eating like that and they exercise and they turn their lives around because suddenly it was no longer a want, it's a need. If they don't do it, they're going to die. You need it. You need to take your want and make it a need. Wanting is not enough. doesn't matter how hungry you are, you will not keep going. And I think if you can make your want a need, and one way to do it, and the way I've done it, is have a purpose. You know, like, for example, nurses, I mean, they're going on strike for the first time in 150 years. You have to understand the mentality of how hard these people work. A nurse will go to work, even if she's sick, to help people, right? And there's nurses right now at the food banks and, 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 and struggling to pay rent. They're still going to work, right? Because they know if they don't, someone will die, potentially. So there's, there's an element there that, you know, they need to go to work. And people, that's the secret to success. You need to make your want and need. Amazing. That's that's a fucking great answer. All right. I mean, as I said, we could do this for hours, but my last my last question for you for today. 15-year-old Simon walks in the room right now. What are you going to tell him? Well, um I'd probably say this is the best thing that's ever happened to you and give him a big hug. And you know, might not feel like it right now, but you're going to be 40, married to someone you love being able to do something to help other people and you're going to feel fulfilled and happy. You're going to be able to sit on a podcast with a brilliant entrepreneur and tell him your story and he's going to sit at the opposite and smile at you and be proud of you. And uh, just, you know, keep going, man. You'll be fine. Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Anything you want to plug? No, if anyone wants to start a business and everybody on this podcast listening should want to start a business, then we have the free resources to help you do it. We'll never charge you for help at purposefulproject.com. Come and check it out. And uh, if you want any help, we'll be there to help you. You're a legend. Thank you so much, mate. Thank you.